Hey there, and welcome to another Change Catalyst Conversation, where we talk about anything and everything that has to do with building cohesive, vision-driven teams that make sustainable change happen, even when change seems impossible. I'm Casey Watts, Impact Coach and Consultant and the host of this show. What I know from experience is that making change happen can be overwhelming if you don't have cohesive vision-driven teams. No one has a collective understanding of why change should happen or what change to begin first. You notice false starts because a solid action plan hasn't been formed or crafted, where you're met with resistance because you don't know how to motivate such complex people. And that leads to schools remaining in a cycle of stagnancy, experiencing the same problems and ineffectively repeating the same initiatives or programs again and again. And that leads to low morale, burnout, high turnover, and who suffers most? It's our students. But there is a better, more effective way to bring about change in your school that does not deplete the energy of your people. You need a catalyst to help you get a solid start. My goal is to make cohesive, vision-driven school teams a possibility. I help school leaders zoom out to cast vision and then zoom back in to script the critical moves that help teams collectively go farther, faster and better, even when change seems impossible. Here's what I want to know from you. What is the change that you know needs to happen in your school? What are you hesitant to get rolled out to teams? What exists only in your mind that you are absolutely certain would benefit your school, but you're just not sure how to get started? Right now, I want you to take a sticky note or put a note on your phone or maybe in the comments, make a note that says change catalyst. This is your reminder to email or message me about your future endeavors and your current reality because I would love to encourage you as a change catalyst in your school. Okay, now that you are primed for thinking about cohesive, vision-driven teams that make change happen. Let's jump into this week's Change Catalyst Conversation. Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to our Change Catalyst Conversation. I am, I'm trying to use some different language here, Carrie, just so you know, because Every single time I get on, I say, I'm so excited or I'm super excited. <laughs> change that tonight for I am thrilled. That's going to be my word tonight. I'm thrilled mm-hmm. to have another conversation tonight with my new friend, Carrie Rosebrock. And we are going to be talking all about PLCs, which I know is a hot topic and it probably always 
will be. So in a moment, Carrie's going to jump into telling us a little bit about district-wide PLC structures. And I am really interested to hear what you have to say about what you've done in the past and what you are doing now with teams and schools. So Carrie, jump in and tell us a little bit about who you are, what it is you do, and what your aspirations are. Thank you so much, Casey. And thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be with you tonight. Um, So a little bit about me. Um, I am heading into, I'm wrapping up my 17th year, maybe in education, heading into 18. I, I don't know, you get lost in there somewhere. And I spent my first 13 years in one district. So I started as a middle school language arts teacher, um, became a curriculum administrator in this district. And when I was there, I like to say I was there at the right place at the right time because I started as a teacher who had no curriculum map, no structures at all. Um, I think that the feel was that to respect us as teachers, we should have total autonomy and they're the professionals and they can figure it out. Um, and that was my first two years. And in my third year, we had a new superintendent come in and he had been familiar with PLCs. And I think this was his turn to figure out how in the world could he get a aligned district approach to PLCs here where I was. So um, I like to say I was in the right place at the right time. And I grew up, so to speak, having um, an experience as a teacher, not having clarity of curriculum, clarity of assessments, how to collaborate, how to have like true authentic collaboration and not faux collaboration. Um, And we went through the shift. We saw all these district changes um, and they were tangible things. And um, we saw tremendous results. So I experienced that as a teacher first and as a PLC leader which I am so grateful for because my passion behind working with district teams is not theory. It's not because um, collective teacher efficacy is so hot right now. Um, I mean, it makes sense as to why it's hot. People right. working together, believing that they can make an impact is always going to be the biggest thing. Like it's never going to change. Um, but it really comes from like the experience I had of not having the structure within a whole district, not having it as a teacher going through the transformation process, watching an entire district do it, a large district at that, and then we yielded tremendous results. So our school district went from maybe being like 25th in the state as measured on standardized testing to fifth to third to first. And we've been first for the past, I don't even, eight or nine years. So when we made this shift, and I was still in the district, um, we started to have a lot of teams from around the state of Indiana come and visit us and they wanted to know what are you doing like what's the secret like what's so different here um you know we would have people come in and um they would almost expect like fairy dust to like sprinkle (laughs) down from the ceilings like so magical and different here and they would realize that what was so very different was we had this like relentless pursuit to just get better at one thing and it was implementing PLCs with fidelity And so I was there in my district. We saw the success. We had all these people coming and we would joke about, well, one day we write the book, one day when we write the book. And then the one day came, um, my colleague, Sarah Henry and I said, you know what, we could do this. We could write this book. We could, we could figure out like, what did we do as a district team? And that's how our book arrows was born. So 
two years ago, we um, public we were fortunate to have our book Arrows: A Systems-Based Approach to School Leadership uh, get published. It tells the story of our school district. Um, and again, kind of right place at the right time, I started working with schools around the state of Indiana. I switched jobs um, and said, well, if I could if I could help other teams figure out how to simplify their systems and take what seems impossible and make it very, very, very possible with very, very yeah. steps, then I want to do that. Um, because I know and I and just listening to your intro and in our conversations, like I know you believe this too, like we do not have to continue this cyclical rat race in education of acting like there aren't real solutions yeah. in how we can simplify things for our teachers. And when our teachers can have some of the mental burden taken off their shoulders, mm -hmm. spend more of their time and energy figuring out what do my kids need instead of what does my admin expect out of me now? Yeah. What's the new, what's, what's the new gimmicky thing that we're going to do? And there's a way to just stop it, just break yeah. that cycle. Um, so I do that now. So now I work with teams. Um, I probably work with 40 plus teams, um, a lot around the state of Indiana, cause that's where I am. And that's more of where I'm known, but then also like across the United States, um, helping them sometimes evaluate the, very ineffective things that they're wasting their time on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, that's usually the first step before I can help them actually get PLC structured. And then a lot of it is helping them create schedules, systems, tools, um, communication around what effective PLCs can and should look like across the district and why the structure benefits them in the long run. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I love every little bit of what you said and agree with it wholeheartedly. And one of the things that is really powerful about what you said is that a lot of what you do is born out of your experience. And how much more impressionable is that on the people that you work with than going in and taking, I know research, research is always going to be important, right? And we, we know we want to back ourselves with best practices and research-based materials, but our experience speaks so much more than the research-based materials. It's kind of like going into a classroom. I imagine I hear teachers a lot of the time saying, getting frustrated with administrators or with even upper echelon people mm -hmm. who have very little classroom experience or sometimes no classroom experience at all, and they're making all of the rules and expectations. And that's really frustrating when you haven't been in the trenches. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I really love that I put in the comments, and I think it's probably showing up on YouTube, but maybe not Facebook. So if you're here on Facebook with us, would you put in the comments what I'm about to say next? But one of the things you said was we're moving from impossible or making things that seem impossible, actually possible. But you said that you focused on getting, just getting better at one thing. So someone, maybe Amanda or Michelle, I see you're here with us tonight, put just get better at one thing. How important is that when bringing clarity to what we are doing as a whole campus or district? It is one of the, uh, one of the top five, I would say, 
most powerful things we could do to strengthen PLCs. Yeah. So I work with a lot of teams that are either excited and they want to start PLCs. A lot of people are like, we still have ESSER money and we want to use it. And they're like, we finally can, especially like my small teams. They're like, we can do this. And here's this person who I'm pretty approachable, um, who has been through this and has lived it. And I, I coach them on it. And so it's wonderful. I have such a a great opportunity to support teams. Um, that's easier helping teams start when they, when they've not been a PLC district before helping them start is easier than when I work with teams that say, well, we've been doing this for 10 or 12 years, uh, but something still isn't clicking. Can you come help? Because why that's hard is I have to say to them and say to them and say to them over and over and over again, like you can't, you can only have one thing be the main thing. And that's a very difficult concept for a lot of school leaders. It's not hard for teachers because we're the ones who are constantly experiencing the change, the shift, the miscommunication, the lack of clarity and administrators. And especially folks at central office, I think when people are constantly changing roles and somebody new comes in, they don't know the history of the stories that have gone on and so they make these changes and it always feels like a new initiative. So the the number one thing to district leaders is you have got to signify in very real, um, visible ways. If you want to work on PLCs, like this is it. So yeah. you don't have any other professional development on anything right? for, for possibly multiple years. And they're yeah. very comfortable that you don't go, you don't your teachers don't go out to any conference that they want to go to. It's kind of like when you're used, when you're not on a budget at home and then you're trying to get yourselves in a budget and you're like, no, we can't just run through the drive through tonight. Even though we maybe have been in the habit of doing that. Yeah. We have a budget. It's the integrity of like, if you say this is the main thing, you have to carry the burden of no is, which is what we called it in our district. Um, the burden of no, you, you start yeah. saying no to a lot of things and people get upset about that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so good. I'm just thinking so many things and I love your analogy of the drive-through and a budget. And I feel that on a personal level, actually. Um, I mean, how many times do I just want to go through the drive-through because I don't want to cook dinner tonight, but we're on a budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you think about the burden of no, which is such a powerful phrase. Mm-hmm. I think that's why it's so much more important to be super clear about like, what is the vision and what is the mission and what is our end goal? What are we working toward for the benefit of our students? Because if we can't cast a vision regularly and celebrate it systematically, then people don't understand the why behind the no every now and then. But if you can be really clear about that vision and your your instructional goals, then it makes that burden a little less burdensome, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things, oh, go ahead, Casey. Nope, you go ahead. You This is all okay. you, girl. But one of the things um, when I work with district teams now, um, so I kind of think of my career as when I was in my school system, getting to go through the experience as teacher and then curriculum admin who helped build and coach our PLCs and our professional development around it. There's that. And then there's the now where it's kind of like I had to take the good stuff. And now I'm like, now how do I teach other people?
all those. Can it be replicated? And it so can. Um, but one of the things that is just so critical that I talk to all my admin teams about at the beginning and then teacher leaders in a first teacher leader training is the neuroscience behind the overwhelm they've been experiencing. So, so I will name you have been a part of initiative fatigue and your brain has gone into overwhelm the way our kids get dysregulated. And as a, as a system of education, we're dysregulated. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you can cast a clear vision for me, usually it's around PLC work because that empowers teachers ultimately to make real-time decisions for kids. So I want as much power in their hands as possible. But when you can class, cast a clear vision, this is the main thing we're working on. And I'm going to say no so I can free up your brain space to get comfortable with these uncomfortable conversations. Teachers understand. And you have to reiterate and reiterate and reiterate. There are some other uh, environmental shifts that we really see that help teams see this is the main thing. And it's uncomfortable for people at first, you know, mm -hmm. we'll say if you're going to if you're going to have PLCs, they have to happen every day at the same time in the same space. Why? For some people that feel so controlling, it's predictability. Like we put our kids to bed at a similar time most nights. Right. Because predictability, like it's not about control. It's about calming your system, your your nervous system of your school. Um, so. We don't want teachers, you know, coming in on Tuesday going, do we have a meeting today? Where are we supposed to meet? What is this about? And then going to a meeting and feeling unprepared because they didn't know what the meeting was because we're constantly changing meetings on them because the first Tuesday of the month is PD, right. the second Tuesday of the month is PD. Just stop. Like, mm -hmm. we, have, we have consistent schedules often for our students in our school day. We, we have that predictability, but we don't create that for adult learning and education. Right. And that, that is our fault of leaders. And it can be changed. The good news is we can change it. Uh, but it's the burden of no. Like, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay, guys. In the comments, somebody put hashtag the burden of no. Because we can absolutely make that a hashtag. But I think we also could include the flip side of that. Hashtag the power of no, because it is a burden, but it has so much power if we allow it to have power yeah. for our people. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really curious, Carrie, like you've talked a lot about kind of what you do or what you've done with the school that went through this process and kind of what you do with the people that you work with now. So can you tell a little bit about what processes or structures you feel like have most benefited um, or grown PLCs? First off, you really, and this one's tricky, you've got to have, you have to have a superintendent or whoever is your top person. You have to have somebody who will 100% back the process. It's best if that person has had some personal experience, the very best if they've been a teacher in a PLC before. Because a PLC truly is about the relational dynamics of the humans. And that takes so much time and energy and coaching and facilitation skills that just we don't all have. And they get developed over time. Yeah. But if you have a superintendent who truly believes in the process, that 
that is really kind of critical and paramount because that person needs to stay the course for years yeah. and you need to have that commitment. Even if they aren't an expert in it, knowing that they're not going to shift and switch on you as like kind of the, the next rung middle management of admin and coaches and leaders, like that is critically important. We can't control that, however. So the next thing is the rest of the admin team has to have time whether it's several days in the second semester of a school year or over the summer or half day times where they read something. Mm -hmm. We offer arrows because it's just, you know, we're like, here, will this help? We, everybody came and visited. So we wrote it down for you. Will this help? But there are so many, so many good books around starting PLCs or school experiences with it. You, you don't have to start with learning by doing by DeFore. Their work is absolutely wonderful and amazing, but that's a really thick resource. Like there are yeah. some small books, but you, the admin team has to read and then they have to ask themselves, what is our understanding of PLC compared to what we want it to be? They have to have the imagination conversations around where are we and where do we want to go? What's not working and what are we going to do differently? And that's usually about a semester's worth of time. It's usually the second half of a school year as an admin team is gearing up to try to figure out how do we do this with our teachers. The next piece is then training teacher leaders. So admin have to have a shared understanding. That takes some time. It could be a year to, to half of a year. And then here's a misstep. People put PLCs in place. They want all the teachers to collaborate. They don't name any one person in the group as the leader or the facilitator or the guide, or, or the activator, whatever you want to call it. So nobody steers the ship. Yeah. Sometimes I even experience this when I'm like consulting and trying to coach an admin team. And I can tell like, uh-oh, nice is getting in our way. Nobody wants to lead. We're, yeah. we're, we're spending a lot of wasted energy on. But if you think, well, I don't know. Well, I don't want to tell you what to do. And I'm just like, come on, people. Like, where are we yeah. here? And that's that's kid impact. So teachers have to be every single PLC needs to have a teacher who is who's tapped as a leader. And that's going to freak a lot of teachers out. And so don't let that stop you from having leaders. They need to have somebody who can guide and facilitate and question and move the pace along. Yeah. And and once we have those people identified, train them. We bring them together for a day or two in the summer. And we ask, what do you know about PLCs up till now? What's been your experience? We're going to create a new experience or we're going to build up what you've been doing. But you recalibrate, you redefine the changes that are going to happen and why. You talk about initiative fatigue. You talk about the neuroscience. You explain why it's powerful to meet in the same room, which I'll talk about. Um, and you say being a leader is not about making all the decisions and having all the answers, and making all the documents, and it's not about that. It's about asking good questions, yeah. and so then the coaching of your teacher leaders on strong leadership is about questioning and listening starts to happen, and that becomes the work of the principals all year long. How do I, and my coaches, how do we not expect, just expect all of our teachers to know how to be strong teacher leaders. Right. That's not fair. They need coach. They need conversation. They need reflection. They need built in time for them to learn this. So um, aside from that kind of like background, like 
admin need time to get together and like decide their vision and then teacher leaders need trained in the summer and then a system the system that really works the best and it's just sometimes i i worry i'm like carrie are you just are you just falling are you just sitting on your haunches too much like this is what you guys experienced and you know are you not being open-minded enough and then i see teams that are struggling and it's because they haven't done these pieces around PLC. So here are the other pieces that really matter. And I've already said one. Teachers need to meet. PLCs need to happen once a week. Honestly, I feel like more than that, we get burnt out. Less than that, we aren't having frequently frequent enough conversations. Like we need to be in a rhythm. Even a once a week PLC conversation might only be 33, 34 conversations by the end of the year. It's not that many. So right. once a week is a sweet spot for 45 to 60 minutes. I have some teams that it's like, it's only, we meet every week, but for 30 minutes, don't do that. You're setting up your teachers to be frustrated. They can't get through the conversation they need to have. They're going to start a conversation every time, not finish it and be frustrated, not buy in. So, you know, you wouldn't, um, the analogy I use there is like, you wouldn't um, expect to bake a cake in 30 minutes and you start with like, I press the button to preheat the oven and my 30 minutes begins. Like there right. are to be enough time and in a plc conversation there's some there's some preheating that happens in every conversation like we have to sit down we have to kind of deep we have to kind of switch gears from the day or the morning into this critical thinking analysis conversation and so it takes 45 minutes to 60 minutes and i'm an advocate strongly of plc should meet outside of the school day not during prep time. And this one is sometimes a sticky subject. Yep. And what I found, nobody wants another meeting. But here's the thing. I want the right kind of meeting where I can do the right kind of thinking. And when I'm supposed to meet with my team on a Tuesday during my prep to have a PLC meeting, and we meet during third hour, I, and we have 45 minutes, by the time we drop off our kids, and then we get there, or maybe we run to the restroom, or maybe somebody stops us and has a conversation with us. All team members aren't coming in at the same time. We don't really have the full amount of time that we should have. We're kind of thinking about whatever's happened in our classroom that morning. We're also kind of thinking about what's going to happen when we go pick up our kids and the rest of the day. And we, we aren't able to really do the kind of critical thinking we need as a team for planning and big picture and data analysis. So, so we're not going to be as successful if the PLCs can meet outside of the school day and in a common space, which really throws people like bring all the teams together in one room. You're it's like small group, yeah. you know, you know, it's like stations, but then all the teachers know on this date at this time in this place, this is the kind of work we all do together everybody's sitting in their team trying to have this tough conversation and look there's my coach and if we need her we know exactly where she is and and there's our assistant principal and our principal and they're joining teams so there's no like i wonder i wonder if that other grade is having the conversation i wonder you know and it also helps the admin because no coach or administrator likes having to miss a teacher meeting that was on their calendar 
but when it's between I'm going to go to your PLC meeting during prep or I'm going to support the student who needs immediate care and wraparound services or they're in a state of crisis. Of course, we want them choosing the student. Right. So, you know, there are things about when we schedule these conversations and how we explain to people why they happen when they happen that make the system stronger. Um, always having an agenda, people just, oh, this feels controlling. Well, it's not <laughs> about control. It's actually about having having a document you can look at so you can remember what the heck you're supposed to be talking about. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's not control. It's a help. Like, who, who anymore wants to keep track of everything up here? Like, we can't do it. So just have a predictable routine on a common day in a common space and time with common questions that we cycle through. And when this happens, what that does, big, big macro picture, what it does, is it calms our nervous system. We have a predictable structure. We stop worrying about what's going to happen in the meeting, what's going to happen in the meeting, and we start to get more confident about the conversation that's going to happen. And then we start to ask more questions of each other. Then we start to take more risks with our colleagues. Then we start to take more risks in our classroom. And there are faster instructional changes for students because we gave our teachers a predictable discussion pattern to be uncomfortable with, to get comfortable. Like they're going to be uncomfortable, but if we can keep it steady and we can hold steady for them, it, it become, it becomes more comfortable. Like we figure it out. Yeah. Um, and that's also what I mean by like the burden of no, I think it's the power of no, but like administrators, need to carry the burden of um, boundaries, mm -hmm. create boundaries for your teachers around this work. I'm saying a lot of words. <laughs> You're saying so many fantastic words. Like I'm taking lots of notes here and it's just a big jumbled mess, but <laughs> I, I have them it. everywhere. So if you're it. here in the comments, guys, if you're here live with us, jot your questions and Carrie will answer them or we'll talk about whatever it is your questions are. Um, I did. So one of the things that I thought about was, as you were talking, I'm just going to name a couple of things that really popped out. So the I when I think about routine, I think about routines turn into habits and then your habits, what would you say that that results in or turns into? Like, what would be the continual, what would be the next word that we put there? I kind of, I, uh, mm, okay, I'm going to say this word and then I'm going to have to unpack it for a minute. But auto, like, I'm going to say it bad too. Like, automaticity, is that a yeah. word? That yeah, automaticity, you got it, yes. And, and here's the part of it that we want to become automatic. We want the, what's this meeting for? What is it? What are the questions that we answer? We want the thinking process of problem solving to become natural and automatic for the group. And yeah. it is not natural for any of us to sit down with people, even people that we love, people that we raise our kids with, people that we yeah. vacation with. Sometimes those are the hardest people to sit mm -hmm. down with and say, um, so I've been thinking maybe we, uh, we got a problem here that we need to change instructionally and we have to like, we don't want to, we don't want to call each other out. 
So it's not that. We want to have a process for problem-solving thinking. Yeah. And if the process becomes very automatic, where we hit our pause buttons and where we spend more mental energy is we start getting creative in, well, what if we try this for this group of kiddos? Well, show me how you taught that mini lesson. And can you like explain it out loud? And could you even model it for us right now? Because I want to see and hear what's in your brain, like of what you did in your classroom. And when people can get into the, the details and the weeds of how they teach what they teach, we can learn from each other. You are my professional developer through a conversation, through modeling, not through some big workshop, not through the next flavor of the month thing, through connecting with each other. But we will not do that well. It will say very surface level, uh, menu-y, like, here's 10 things we might try taking a yeah. it. It will stay at this, like, use-or-lose kind of mentality until the team's I'm talking with my hands a lot. I'm watching my hands until um, get them out there. Um, until the process becomes more automatic, when they know we're having this conversation again, we're having this conversation again, we're having this conversation again, then they'll start saying, "Okay, let's let's actually have this conversation. Let's stop going through the motions. Let's stop filling out the agenda because." Carrie's going to read it and they'll start to like, there's something that just clicks and it's like, Oh no, these are prompts to guide our thinking to solve the problem. Yeah. So as you're talking about this, I'm thinking one of the things that I've leaned into a lot this year is there is freedom and structure and there is so much freedom and structure. And I think that's true for anyone in any stage of their career, in any stage of life, there is freedom in structure. And it's really hard sometimes to wrap our brains around that because we equate autonomy with, let me do what I want to do when I want to do it. And, but, but I think what we could say is we, we don't want our teachers or our colleagues to be burdened. Let me, let me see how I want to say this differently. In the beginning, they may feel burdened by the process or the protocols but that structure will result in freedom, freedom to be able to have in-depth, true collaborative conversations instead of faux collaboration. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. The phrase that we used in our district and we, we describe this in arrows is kind of a barometer for teams as they're trying to figure out like what we have two phrases, tight, loose, tight, and similar to identical. So tight, loose, tight is about getting to a point in a PLC where what we teach, our curriculum, our standards, and the resources and content we're using to teach those standards is tight. It's paced. This is a big shift. There are a lot of teams that have maps that it's basically like, teach all these things in this month in whatever (laughs) order you decide. And like, I'm a new teacher and I'm like, I don't know what to prioritize. Uh-huh. It's like you get a recipe and it just says, here are all the things that go in it, but it doesn't tell you the amounts or what you get it. And so pacing of the curriculum, and that is tight. What we teach, the resources we use, and the pacing is actually very tight. Teacher teams decide it, but then it gets set. 
and we are not changing it over and over. Um, our analogy is a baseball analogy and we say curriculum is first base and we're very, very, very tight about it. That's the first type. The second thing is how we're going to assess how in a summative way, how are we going to assess if they've learned it or not? Now, the loose, tight, loose, tight, everything in the middle is how are we as a team or in our classrooms going to get there? Every year, the way we teach, the strategies we use, the personality we bring, all those things are unique. That is loose. That's the art of teaching. That is the creative stuff. But what we don't change is the curriculum and how we're going to see if they've learned it, the, six, the success criteria. And so um, that's one barometer. So in PLCs, I work with a lot of teams and they're like, is this a tight? Is this something that's tight? It, it gives you a language to try to figure out how common do we need to be? Is this something right. we need to be tight on? Mm-hmm. Or is this something that's loose that I still have my own autonomy on? Um, and I would argue that as you get going, when you figure out a best practice for something, a, a best brainstorming strategy, a pre-write strategy, um, a math something, that shouldn't remain loose. If it's a really great strategy, and research backs it up also, why would we just leave it up to the whim of whichever teachers to use it, use or lose it? No, I wouldn't go to the doctor and be like, you know, uh, we w- there are some standard things that doctors do, like listening to our heart rate, taking our blood pressure, like asking certain right. questions. Um, and I would never want it to just be left up to the doctor's whim mm-hmm. on whether or not they felt like following some of those... Pr- protocol. So there are some of those that we need to abide by in education more. There is a science to a lot of what we're doing. Um, and we need to not be afraid of that. Similar to identical is the other phrase I mentioned. I'll say it really quickly. That was our approach. And, and really what I do now as a district alignment coach is it's, it's so much of this. You don't want students in one middle school having a completely different experience than kiddos in another middle school. They're very, they're going to feed into a high school. And I know kids move and I know we shift, but like when we talk about access and we talk about equity, that's really what we're talking about here. Like you wouldn't have more minutes in the day at this middle school for math and reading than this one. If you do, you're prioritizing content here that you're not prioritizing and it's not an equitable access to to whatever it is and so similar to identical was is a phrase that we use and 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 they still use in the district but it's really kind of a barometer of like if this is best practice in one building should it be best practice in all and if the answer is yes then how do we get it there for all um, and it's about having clarity. It helps leaders have clarity of like, okay, this decision is made. I don't have to keep worrying about it. This is just how we do this in this district. For teachers, it also, it's a voice. Because when you are in a district and your district leaders start to say, we're going to get aligned. Teachers love it. They're like, <laughs> bring it on. not aligned, not aligned. They're not doing it this way. They're not meeting when they're supposed to. You guys, you guys said you were going to get aligned. You're not following through. And they're right. Teachers are right. It's not because I think administrators are, are, it's not like we're trying to go back 
It's not like we're trying to be misaligned, but what it forces is principals and central office and admin to actually look at the way they communicate and when and how, and when they don't follow through on things they say they will do, good people don't follow through all the time. Well, are we going to be okay with that? Are we going to have high enough expectations? We're going to create a system where if we say we have PLCs on Wednesday at this time in this space, and we do it across our district, then like we better mean it. Cause yeah. when we don't as leaders, the teachers are going to, and I, that's a I kind of secret. I love that part. I love that part. When teachers start to say, um, I'm not doing it right yet. And the teachers are like, we know what we're, we know what this is supposed to look like. You guys aren't doing it. And then the admin are held accountable. And it's kind of like, I have to dance the dance of like, I love you all. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And they're right. So what do we do? How do we fix this? Remember what I said? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That's so great. Okay. So one of the things that you talked about, um, and we mentioned this earlier, like we're talking, this is not a one and done. We're going to just start PLCs next year. And it's going to be great and wonderful because we will have all of the protocols in place. Like it does not happen that way. And it's easy to get really frustrated when it doesn't happen that way. So what it sounds like you're saying, and I know I've said this before too, Carrie, is you have to lay a strong foundation for this kind of work. Otherwise, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. And we're building just this, this empty foundation that is going to crumble really fast. And then you're going to have issues that, that leaders probably feel like they have to create a Band-Aid fix for. And then you, you run into that cycle. And it doesn't have to be that way. You can do this work, but you have to know going into it, like you have to be super intentional about it. Yeah. Um, and I love that you said, it's kind of reminds me of Dr. Seuss, say what you mean, mean what you say. Mm-hmm. And if we can get into that habit and it becomes a routine, then we can move into automaticity. So you work a lot with teams, teams come together. And of course, on this show, we talk about everything that has to do with building cohesive vision-driven teams. And we've talked a little bit about faux collaboration. So I've kind of coined that term faux collaboration for the last couple of years now. And one of the things that you talked about are these assumptions that we make about teams that get along are naturally collaborative or people are naturally have the ability to um, have enough social and self-awareness to collaborate well. But what, I mean, what do you feel like this term carries for you or what meaning does it have for you, especially in the work that you do with helping people build PLCs? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I normalize it. I normalize um, for the admin and then the teacher leaders, like in an initial training with the with the first round of, of PLC leaders, that this is not easy. I say over and over and over again, like this is really hard work. And the this is the weekly conversation with our colleagues that's asking like what worked and what didn't work and what are we going to do about it? That is hard. So I normalize it. And I think we have to normalize it for people because teachers are wonderful, wonderful people. And many of us were great students and a lot of us are perfectionists. And the moment we sit in a meeting and it doesn't go well or we ask a question, and people that we laugh with all day long at lunch just stare at us and go, 
Mm-hmm. We're like, I'm not doing that again. That was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever done in my whole life. And so, but if we can normalize for our teacher leaders, here are some things that are going to happen. And like, here are some things that are going to come up and it's not going to be your fault. It's going to be the fact that we're dealing with humans and humans are messy people. We have to normalize that and we have to normalize it for the administrators and coaches. Next piece of it is that the leaders and the administrators and coaches need to have only um, getting coached that they're giving each other feedback. So like a monthly instructional leadership team meeting that's talking about here are things we're seeing in PLC. What do we think is working? What's kind of uncomfortable? What do you guys do when this person says this type of thing? Or where do you feel like the conversations are getting stuck? Okay, well, as a leadership team, let's build our facilitation skills. Like that's the dedication. That's that's the work that never stops. Yeah. And I think admin and coaches need to sit in the meetings, not to lead, but they should be there listening. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the way when you're in a classroom and you circulate around to your groups and you listen in. Except in a PLC meeting, I think to be able to, for me, to be able to coach a PLC leader, facilitator to facilitator, I learn more about the whole group dynamic and that PLC leader's ability to facilitate the conversation if I stay for the whole meeting. Mm -hmm. I interrupt that leader and that conversation if I just jump in and then I pop back out. Um, You know, when you know your teams really well, you can do that here and there, but there's just like a, again, like, Settle the nervous system of the conversation. If you're going to join the conversation, and we should as admin and coaches, sit and listen. And then you have like data to be able to process with with the leader later. You have real things you can celebrate and say, I loved when the conversation got uncomfortable. And you normalize that for your team. And you said, hey, I know it's feeling kind of tense right now. Um, I just want to say I want to applaud us for at least attempting this conversation. Like when we can get our PLC leaders naming and normalizing the emotions and the discomfort and the tension, they will dissolve. The, the tension dissolves. Nobody feels weird for feeling uncomfortable and the conversation moves forward. And that's that's kind of the goal. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, you know, those collaborative skills have to be explicitly taught, modeled, and celebrated to your point. Like we have to be able to celebrate that, but there's no way to celebrate that if they haven't first been taught explicitly or modeled what that looks like. Um, And they have to have multiple mastery experiences in order to move forward. Absolutely. This has been so phenomenal. Such a great conversation. And I know our listeners are really going to appreciate all of the nuggets of gold that you've shared. And this is not the only place that you will get access to Carrie. So Carrie, tell us a little bit about what you have, where people can find you, what you have to offer and why they should partner with you. And before you get there, guys, if you're here in the comments, go ahead and type in what was most useful for you as Carrie sharing a little bit about, um, what more she has for you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I have my website is www.carryrosebrock.com. So you see my first and last name. If you're if you're watching this live with us on the screen or if you're listening, um, 
carryrosebrock.com. I have a blog that I, anytime I'm with a team and I realize we need this resource, it's, that's my, oh, I need to make this now. Or like, why didn't I make this yet? And so I have so many free resources there. I have um, a PLC slide deck that people use to start their year or refresh their PLCs. We have literacy um, uh, nuggets there that people really like, PLC agendas, different um, free dashboards that people use to organize their curriculum or streamline documents. Um, we also have some admin and PLC um, like data dashboards that are available on our site. Um, but really the blog is where I try to put any, any resources that I'm like, we just, the, you just need this. Um, and so you can find all of that there. We also do some virtual workshops um, and we do a lot of coaching and a lot of district partnering. So I think of it as um, really, how can we be like an extension for people? How can we a brain, be a brainstorming and thought partner for them, but also like, I don't just sit and brainstorm with you. I'm like, that's frustrating. Like we'll brainstorm and then I'm going to help you take where all the thoughts that are swirling in the cloud and we yep. put them down on paper and we put them in order. And so um, you can contact me through the website. We have a form and, and you can always like fill it out to, to reach me or one of the other consultants. I have some social media, but that's not really where I put a lot of my stuff. If you want some stuff you can really use to impact your team, carryrosebrock.com. Okay. And you have um, something really cool coming up. You have launching your PLCs. Is that something that you just talked about or you want to share about that real quick? Yeah. So we do have, um, we will have three sessions this summer. The first one will be in June. It's 90 minutes. It will be a quick course in how to launch your PLCs. Um, Casey, you have mentioned, and I wholeheartedly agree with you, you can't watch a 90-minute webinar or course on how to launch PLCs and that be it. And you just be like, I know everything I need to know about PLCs or our principles. So there's definitely some pre-work or experience you may want going into it. But if you even don't, if you're like, I've been a part of a PLC, but now I'm an admin, or I really would like my admin to watch this because we need PLCs. This is a great, quick capture of a lot of what I've talked about today, like the background pieces you need, and then the structures you need when you start PLC, same day, same time, same space, use an agenda, give them feedback. It's very like systems. <laughs> um, and that we have three different dates. And my colleague, actually, Sarah Henry, who will be on your show later this yeah. month. Um, she is actually going to lead those and I'm so excited. So that is open for registration as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, Carrie, I am so grateful that you came on to share with us about district-wide PLC structures and processes. And I know that people are going to run to your website as they should and get some of your free resources, but also join the um, webinar that they have coming up. Guys, this has been a great conversation and I will catch you next time. Carrie, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Casey. All right. See you later, guys. I want to give a big thank you to you guys for tuning in. And I would love for you to do me two solid favors. Number one, if you've enjoyed this or any other shows, please hit subscribe. I've got a lot of great guests and content coming up and I don't want you to miss any of it. Two, if you know of someone who may be interested in building cohesive, vision-driven teams that collaborate well 
share this show with them. And until next time, I want you to go off and have the great collaborative conversations that help you and the people you work with to completely unleash your impact. See you later.